Well, good morning and welcome to this Workers by the Numbers Power at Work blogcast. My name is Seth Harris. I'm a senior fellow at the Burns Center for Social Change at Northeastern University, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined for today's blogcast by Joel Gamble. Joel is the chief economist at the U.S. Department of Labor, and Joel and I work together in the White House, and she's just a terrific economic analyst and interpreter of labor market trends. So we're very lucky to have Joel with us. Good morning. Welcome, Joel. Good to see you. Good morning. It's great to see you again, Seth, and just a pleasure to be here today. Great. Thanks. And so Joel and I are going to discuss the latest jobs, unemployment, and wages report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Today's release tells us the employment and wages situation in December, uh, and we're going to focus on what those numbers mean for workers and worker power, as well as the economy as a whole. So let me start with the headlines, and then we'll quickly turn to Joelle for her analysis and uh, go a little bit below the headlines. But here are the headlines. Um, the unemployment rate fell to 3.5%, down from 3.7% in November. That is the lowest unemployment rate in more than 50 years. The economy created 223,000 jobs in December. That's a robust number, but it is part of a gradual deceleration in job growth over 2022. Workers' hourly wages rose an average of 0.3%, which is a smaller pay increase than workers got in November and October. Um, for the year, workers' wages are up 4.6%, which is a, a pretty big number, but it is below the annual inflation rate, which depending upon which measure you prefer is somewhere between 5.5% and a little over 7%. So those are the headlines. Joel, let me start with the big question, which is, uh, are the data in this report uh, good news for workers? Are they bad news for workers? Or are they a mixed bag? I think that this report is generally good for workers. We're seeing um, still a lot of opportunity. We saw that in the job openings report earlier this week that we're still seeing quite a few openings out there, which are opportunities for workers to get jobs and also help workers have bargaining power in the labor market. The fact that you know we added over 200,000 new jobs in December, which is seasonally adjusted, I would say, so it's not just because of December hiring, um, means that there are still a growing economy for workers as well. And although, you know, as you mentioned, uh, real wages, so wages adjusted for inflation, have been down over the year. Over the last five months, we have seen workers' average wages outpace the monthly change in, in prices, which means that if that trend continues, inflation starts to come down, workers are still starting to see pretty solid wage gains over the month, purchasing power for workers will start to increase, which I think is good for workers' pockets. You think, do you think workers actually feel that month-to-month uh, improvement in their wages as inflation is coming down? Um, or do we have a sort of inflationary mindset in our country? Certainly, let me just say the media has an inflationary mindset. It's their favorite story other than uh, what's happening on Capitol Hill right now, right, right near where your office is. But do you think workers are feeling that? Is it a big enough difference for them to be feeling it in their pocketbooks? This is where economists can sometimes <laughs> sound a little funny, but 
Um, I do think that workers can feel prices, especially when they increase in their pocketbooks. And when some prices that are really noticeable, like gas prices, which have been falling pretty dramatically over the last few months, um, start, to, start to ease, um, then workers can also feel it. I mean, we still have a ways to go, right? We still have, you know, food prices that are still very high compared to where they were last year. Um, we still have a housing market that is that is pretty hot, though things are changing, but most people aren't buying a new home or renting a new apartment right now. And so, you know, they're still feeling the baked in higher prices from the last time they purchased or, you know, renewed a lease. And so it's going to take time. But for me, I'm just looking at the trend. I'm looking at signs of, of things to hope for, right? Um, which is that it looks like as you know, we've seen a few months of abating inflation um, and still steady wage growth, that the gap between rising prices and rising wages has closed a little bit for workers. Um, and purchasing power is just, as you know, so important. Yeah, I wanted to pick up on a, a phrase you used, which is a, uh, a buzz phrase uh, at the Power at Work blog, uh, and that's worker power. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, one measure of individual worker power, as opposed to the collective power that workers get from a union, is how tight the labor market is. And this seems like a very tight labor market, um, very, very low unemployment rate. We're, we're seeing people coming out of uh, uh, or, or entering the labor market who are out of the labor market. You know, we, we saw a drop, a significant drop this month in the number of people who are not in the labor force but wanted a job. Uh, you know, about 400, almost 400,000 people uh, uh, came off the bench and, and got back into the labor market, which is a very, very a good sign. And to have the unemployment rate go down when that happens is also a very, very good sign. Um, so how much does the wage increase that we're seeing depend upon that very, very tight labor market? Is it all about that or is there something else going on as well? I think that's a great question because, you know, when you ask about how tight the labor market is, I like to say, well, for, for whom and frankly, in which industries, like which parts of the economy is this, you know, really happening? I like to say for whom in part because this has been a, a labor market because it's tight has been really good for lower wage workers, workers who don't have a college degree. They're seeing faster wage growth than than other other groups of workers in part because they were in those frontline jobs. They were difficult jobs. They were uh, low wage jobs and workers are actually going have a little bit more of an outside option in an economy that's growing really quickly to be able to choose to work somewhere else. So employers are having to work a little bit harder to get those workers back into those jobs. So those wages are going up. Don't get me wrong. There's still um, some improvement to go in those in that in those lines of work, especially in leisure and hospitality, where wages are still very low, even though wage growth has been um, accelerating. Well, now it's decelerating, but had accelerated um, once people started to really come back to work in, in, in 2021. And so I would say that, you know, that's that's an important dimension right there, right? It's for whom lower wage workers, workers um, without a, a college degree have fared particularly well um, in terms of the progress they've made. There's still there's still a lot of room to grow. I would also say the industries matter too, because there are some sectors that are fully recovered, right? We're seeing places like retail, uh, transportation and warehousing, et cetera. That growth in, in payrolls is starting to slow down. Um, there are still some growth in those industries in this report, but you know, not as much as we'd seen in, in prior in prior months. Meanwhile, you know, healthcare, leisure and hospitality, which is obviously a huge category, including, you know, restaurant workers, um, you know, hotel workers, there's still a lot of growth. Um, but at the same time, there are also fewer establishments um, since the pandemic in those in those uh, industries as well. And so the whole dynamic is kind of changing. Something structural is happening there. And so 
I do think that begs a really important question. Is it just how fast the overall economy is growing that's going to lead to more bargaining power for the workers? Or is it the fact that something structural is happening in some of these industries that you know could actually end up working in their favor? Yeah, I want to let me throw a data point in that I think is a part of that story that you're talking about, that uh, about how workers um, exercise their their bargaining power and how uh, we know that they have bargaining power. And that's a number that doesn't come out of this report, but came out of the job opening and labor turnover mm-hmm. survey earlier this week. And that is that for month after month after month after month, it's been longer than a year. I actually think it's been longer than 18 months. Four million workers a month have quit their jobs and taken other jobs. Most of them are taking other jobs. They're not quitting and retiring. That's the the big lie of this great resignation phrase that that some people have slapped on what's happening. What's really happening is workers are quitting jobs, mostly low-quality jobs, and taking better-quality jobs. In fact, that's how workers are getting bigger wage increases in the economy. Um, So is that... A, a structural move, meaning a large-scale move by workers away from industries like leisure and hospitality, which tend to be very low-wage jobs. They tend to be jobs that don't come with benefits, uh, particularly if there's no union involved. Um, the work puts you in contact with the public, which puts you at risk of exposure to COVID and flu and, and other illnesses. Um are we seeing a uh, some kind of a trend, and is it a sustainable trend if the if unemployment were to happen to go up in twenty twenty three? No, that's a, that's a, a great analysis and a great question, Seth. I think um, two things. One, you know, we're absolutely seeing industries kind of price in the fact that they <laughs> need to pay more to attract workers back to these industries because they have to price in the fact that you know workers are you know, risking uh, exposure to COVID, other illnesses, um, to do these jobs. You know, the, the pandemic really, I think, made clear the fact that these jobs are absolutely essential, you know, to the functioning of the U.S. economy, and their wages weren't reflecting that. So there is some of that that's happening, um, though clearly not fully happening. And so there is something that I think some sort of realization that may have happened there. But to your second question, that realization happened because workers had more choice in the labor market. And so they were able to actually, you know, have a, have a seat at the table, be on somewhat not quite equal, but some more equal footing with employers and actually, you know, ask for those higher wages that they that they should have been earning. That's commensurate to the value that they add to the economy. Um, and so this is where I think, you know, something that we don't actually measure in this report, but we'll get more data on later this month, frankly, organizing and, and, and unionization is really important. Like we have a tight labor market and that's great for workers tight labor markets never last, right? Just like periods of economic recovery never last. And so we need actual structural policy changes um, to help enable more workers to be able to organize if they want to. And then also, you know, those workers need their rights to organize respected um, and so that they can actually bake in that power that they have, um, that they should rightfully have, you know, when it comes to their relationship with their employer. Yeah, I would say it maybe a little bit more directly, and that is if you don't want your workers to quit, quit busting their unions. Stop busting their unions because unionized workers have much longer job tenure. They have a reason to stay. They have voice in the workplace. You know, if you have no voice in the workplace, your only option is to be one of those four million workers a month who's quitting. Uh, let me pick up on two other things that that you mentioned because there's boy so much to talk about, and, and I know we're on a tight timeline here. Um, 
you talked about industries, um, and I, I watch the industry numbers in these uh, uh, reports fairly closely because, as we said, some of these are good jobs and some of them are not so good jobs. Uh, so industries like construction and manufacturing are traditionally good quality middle class jobs. We saw a nice increase in construction employment this month. Manufacturing was a, a slower uh, increase. Um, I We didn't see much of an increase in government, which is another good quality middle class job. Um, but we saw very significant growth in, uh, as you said, in leisure and hospitality and fast food and, and some of these other industries. Um, that plays into the wage mix, of course. You know, if you have more workers going into lower wage jobs, that brings down the average to some extent. Um, how closely do you watch that industry mix? And do you think that we can fairly say that in this recovery, different, frankly, from the last recovery, that this recovery has produced a lot of good quality middle class jobs uh, that can support a family and that will give people some stability in their economic lives? So that is a great set of questions, a big set of questions as well. Um, the industry mix absolutely matters in terms of, you know, when we look at overall payroll growth and when we look at average hourly earnings, because depending on who is getting a job and what their wages are, that can, if, if there's a big difference between them, the people who are getting jobs and the people who already have jobs, that could actually change average hourly earnings, um, even if an individual worker is not necessarily seeing a pay raise. Um, and so, so that's really important. I wanted to make two points on the industry mix um, up front. One is, you know, that we're in a point where we're we're kind of pivoting, right, from the good, the heavy emphasis on goods and consumers demanding higher than expected uh, amounts of goods, um, and so, and then switching to more of a service providing kind of uh, part of this recovery, where more people are demanding services than they were before. They feel safer, you know, going to restaurants, going on trips, things like that. And so, right, right. we're still doing that transition, and you can kind of see some of that in this report, where there is stronger payroll growth. Um, though it's, it's, it's delayed relative to the overall economy in service providing industries relative to good providing industries. Um, and so that's, that's one piece that's going on there. And then I do look at the average hourly earnings. Um, we're seeing a deceleration in wage growth across the board. Some of that could be because, frankly, lower wage workers are entering the mix. Um, those are a lot of people who lost their jobs during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if the labor market is less tight, maybe employers are not raising wages quite as quickly. And therefore, people who are now getting a job are getting a, not as big of an increase as people who got a job earlier in the year, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah. some of that could be happening. Um, but at the same time, uh, it could also just, uh, like you're saying, it could be a, 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 not just within an industry, but also between industries where we're seeing a lot of growth in leisure and hospitality overall. And so that is a lower wage industry relative to other industries. So there's a couple of different dimensions on which that can happen. Some of that seemed to happen in the November report in particular. That might have been what happened to transportation and warehousing wages, where there were lower wage workers coming back online. I know there was some talk about that. It's a little less clear from this report, but I'll be doing some more analysis later today. Um, and to your point about creating good paying jobs, I think seeing more jobs in construction, seeing more jobs in manufacturing is good. It's good for you know workers' wages and benefits. It's also, I think, good geographically um, because we wanna make sure that this economic growth is shared. Um, but I think it's also important that those industries are central to this recovery because it's also central to this president's agenda, as you know well, um, yeah. that you know we really want to build things in America. We want to 
ensure that our economy is resilient. We have resilient supply chains that we're able to build things, that we're able to export things um, by creating innovative products here, by creating the clean energy economy here. And so the investments that are starting to come online from the bipartisan infrastructure law, from the um, Inflation Reduction Act, right, from the Chips and Science Act, you know, in the next few years are also going to make a big impact on those industries. So we've had a strong recovery, right, that's centered, you know, building things in America. But the overall economic agenda does that as well. Yeah, so I, I, I want to uh, just emphasize that last point. Um, the numbers that we saw today largely don't reflect any of that spending that came out of any of those big pieces of legislation that were passed under President Biden. You know, the infrastructure money is just going out. There has been some broadband money that has gone out to the states. And so perhaps they're doing hiring. The Chips and Science Act just passed. They haven't started spending that money in any meaningful way. The Inflation Reduction Act that spending on climate change resilience hasn't really begun yet. There was a tremendous amount of money spent under the American Rescue Plan, and some states and localities still have a lot of money, but the biggest investments in middle-class industries really haven't begun and are going to be spread out over the course of the next few months. So does that mean that we can expect to see construction and manufacturing and and uh, some of the related industries, maybe utilities, for example, growing more substantially in the months uh, and years to come? I mean, that that is the expectation, right? And so um, I think it's really important to watch those industries in the coming months um, because there should be a deviation from trend. That's positive, right? Um, and, and, and particularly certain kinds of construction, right? Um, so we're, we've been talking a lot about residential construction in the last few months because, you know, we've had a hot housing market and, you know, residential construction employment is, is well above its February 2020 levels. And as the Fed continues to take actions, of course, I am watching residential construction employment, but there's a whole nother <laughs> set of construction employment, right? If we're talking about that non-residential space, the places where, um, you know, workers will help be helping to build, you know, bridges, helping to pave roads, of course. Um, but also, you know, building facilities, right? If we're going to start doing more battery manufacturing in the US, that starts with building a battery manufacturing plant, right? That starts with its construction as well. And so that's gonna be a really important space to watch because that's gonna be one of the first places where we start to see these investments kind of take root. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, okay, I, I can't believe I waited 20 minutes to, to bring up uh, one of the biggest issues persistent chronic issues in the labor market and that is and not just in the labor market but in our society as a whole and that is race um every time these numbers come out uh those of us who watch them closely are hit in the face with the reality of the difference racial disparities that we see in the unemployment rate uh unemployment among white workers went down and it was three percent in december went down from 3.2 percent uh, among Latino workers, it went up 0.2%. They're at 4.1%. And among Black workers, it was flat, but it's still 5.7%, almost double the rate of white workers. And if you and I had been doing, have, holding these conversations on this blog every month for the last, I don't know how many years, but certainly as long as I've been involved in, in, in this field, the numbers would have been in the same proportion. Black unemployment would have been roughly double the unemployment rate of white workers. Um, can, can you explain it? Um, can you help us to understand why it is that 
even though black un unemployment among black workers is lower than it has been historically, much lower than it has been historically. It used to be between 10 and 12%. Now it's half that much. But still, it is not equivalent to unemployment among white workers. Why do we still see these racial disparities when these numbers come out? Honestly, Seth, I think it, it boils down to like policy and power. <laughs> um, um, I, I would say policy because the fact that it can almost be considered a rule that the unemployment rate for black workers is two times the unemployment rate for white workers is a sign, right, that um, something more fundamental is going on that is about institutions and unaddressed, um, unaddressed like historical discrimination, um, you know, unequal investment in, in, in communities and underinvestment in, in communities of color, particularly black communities. Um, and I also say power because we saw some gains for black workers in the economic recovery because it was an economic recovery that was focused on people. And it was a fast economic recovery. And to your point, workers had more choice because workers had more choice. Employers had to break down some of the barriers that they were putting up for workers, which gave more black workers and other workers of color a little bit more of a chance to get some of these jobs. But at the same time, there's still a barrier, right? We saw switching for um, a lot of black workers, for instance, out of leisure and hospitality into construction and transportation and warehousing, et cetera. Those are better paying jobs, right? Um, but there's still there's still jobs that you know could have some improvement in job quality, um, and at the same time, you know if if nothing is done to kind of solidify those gains, which obviously the Department of Labor is very focused on, you know next time around it's not a guarantee that that will happen, um, and that you know black workers will actually have a real shot, workers of color will actually have a real shot at a good job in the economic recovery, and so so I, I do think that the power piece is important too because. Um, that is where, you know, if they're, if workers aren't represented by a union, right, if employers are not actually held accountable for discrimination practices, et cetera, like you will just see this trend manif man uh, manifest over and over again. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's pretty pessimistic, let me just say, but I think you're, I think you're right on about the analysis of what's been happening in the labor market, uh, you know, tight labor markets solve a lot of problems, haven't completely solved this problem, but have made the situation somewhat better. Okay, we have- Well, Seth, I, I could say that like, it's pessimistic, but I think we're clear on the problem, which is why we're focused on solutions, right? Which right. Is why? Right. right. <laughs> we're so, yeah, on the, sure. <laughs> the biggest challenge in public policy is defining the problem, right? And and you, <laughs> I think you defined it extremely well. Okay, we've only got a minute left, so I want to hit you with a an unfair and really really big question, and you do with it whatever you'd like. Um, so, is this the calm before the storm? Is uh, are we gonna uh, are we gonna keep seeing? pretty good reports like this one. I agree with you that this is good news on the whole for workers. Uh, or are we about to slip into some version of an apocalyptic Armageddon-like uh, dystopia? Because uh, that's, you know, if you read the mainstream media like I do, the words recession and inflation uh, uh, are in competition for most use uh, in the economic coverage. Um, are, are, are we going to look back fondly on these days as the halcyon days for workers in the economy? Um, so I've definitely seen a lot of, of the news and I've heard the term vibe session, um, but from, from, from where I sit, you know, I, I try to stay focused on the fact that the economy, right, is a real thing. Yes, expectations can help drive future outcomes, but you know, when I look at the economy as like this real thing, I see employers who are still trying to hire, right? <laughs> um, we see that in our, in our openings data, we see that in the number of hires that um, for November, et cetera. Um, and we see in, in workers who are coming to work, who are getting jobs, 
right? Um, time in and, and time out. We're talking about an economy that's adding over 200,000 jobs a month um, as though it's a, a bad labor market or as though it's an economy that's you know, on the brink of some hard times. But you know, we are in a strong position to face the headwinds that may or may not come. Um, and we, I think that that is a result of some really strategic policy decisions that this president has made to try to build an economic recovery that really centers on people and centers on workers so that, you know, no matter what is around the corner, um, those, those workers are in a good place. They have, you know, still strong wage growth, though we want to see, you know, real wage growth. You know, people are able to switch into jobs that are better for them. You know, workers who are often left behind, lower wage workers, workers without a high school degree, workers of color, you know, had a real shot. Um, though there's obviously more policy work to be done there. And so, you know, I think we're in a strong position um, overall in the, in the state of the U.S. labor market. Great. Uh, you'll be you'll you'll be reassured to know that I agree with you completely. I, I don't think we're on the cusp of some disastrous high unemployment recession. Uh, I think we're going to continue to see some slowing, but uh, I, I think that the likelihood that we're going to dip into a really difficult high unemployment recession is fairly low. Uh, it may not look like this, but I think it's still going to be pretty good news for workers. Uh, I want to, on behalf of the Power at Work blog, I want to thank Joel Gamble, the chief economist at the U.S. Department of Labor, uh, for spending this time with us, helping us to understand what the BLS Jobs, Unemployment, and Wages Report means to workers and worker power. Joel, as we expected, you were terrific. We really appreciate you. I'd like to thank uh, Ani Dinesh, Dane Gambrell, and Lexi Anderson for their uh, production support for this blogcast. And we'll look forward to seeing you in this space again very soon. Thanks a lot for coming. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for having me.